Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. I'm the preacher, Dave McGarrah. And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And we have a great guest this week, someone who's been actually something of a regular on The Teacher and the Preacher, Elliot Chodoff. Elliot is a world-renowned security and counterterrorism analyst, and he's been with us on the show to discuss Iran, the Emirates, uh, all kinds of thorny issues that he can provide, only the insights he can provide, and that's why we keep asking him back. And this week, we're going to be talking with Elliot about Russia and the Ukraine. So welcome, Elliot. Great to be with you guys again. Great to have you. Really good to have you. And I, I agree with Harold. This needs to be uh, more regular. Our, our listeners, I'm sure, love having a chance to hear about the latest, about the latest. And that's one of the things that you bring to the table. Always a pleasure to be with you. So let's chat about this. Harold, uh, what, what would be one of the things that uh, you think Elliot could best uh, launch for us today? Well, I think first, you know, obviously many of our listeners are familiar with the situation. And I should also add the caveat here that we are pre-recording this show. So it is possible by the time this airs in a few days uh, that uh, all you know, you know what will have broken loose. Hopefully not. Uh, but uh, th- this is a moving target. So we, we, we say this uh, advisedly. But uh, for those who maybe haven't been following so closely, maybe it would be good just to give a just a capsule summary of, of what's going on here. Well, as right now, what's going on is that um, Russia, Vladimir Putin have have been threatening Ukraine. They've moved. He's moved some 100,000 troops to the border between Russia and eastern Ukraine, ostensibly for exercises, but. Nobody really believes that. And right now he's he's playing the threat game, saying that uh, he's got all sorts of demands about Russian speakers in eastern Ukraine. And he, he's, he's very much beating around the bush. Uh, but I think what, what's important to understand is, and, and we should go into that, what, what are, what does Putin really want? Yeah. What are what are his what are his goals there? And uh, before I get to that, keep in mind that he may get them diplomatically just by threatening. And if he does, the threat may remain for a little while longer. He may move it away. He may take it away entirely and move it back next year. The, these are all things that we 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 also we all have to keep in mind. Um, he can be satisfied with minor gains and let it go. 
he might decide to take advantage of all sorts of global geopolitical situations and go ahead. Uh, as as both of you know, I don't do prophecy, so I'm not going to predict any of any of the above. Just kind of lay out his options. Yeah, yeah. So why do you suppose this now? The now is a combination of things. Um, if I may, Dave, I, I think we should start with the what, because that will help explain the, the, the why now. Uh, Putin, Putin is moving himself into a position essentially to gain a number of things, and if he gains all of them, he's the big winner. If he only gains some of them, so he's doing okay. He'll, he'll almost certainly get at least something out of this. In no particular order, the Ukraine, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, and Putin is on record saying that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the worst catastrophe of the 20th century, I disrespectfully disagree with him, but his position as, as the head of Russia, he would like for Ukraine to be reabsorbed into Russia because he sees Ukraine as part of Russia. So that's one, let's call it emotional, let's call it emotional, historical, uh, national, but it's there. And we know that emotions drive actions sometimes. So that's component number one. Number two, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, NATO decided to expand eastward. And it was a debatable strategy. I'm not saying it was a bad strategy, but it was a debatable strategy uh, because at the time it made a lot of sense. Russia was very weak. This was a good chance to move and make inroads into the former Soviet bloc. And one of the countries that was on the list and remains on the list is Ukraine. The Baltic states, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia became part of NATO. Poland became part of NATO. These are all ex either Soviet territory or, or Soviet bloc, Warsaw Pact, uh, Soviet area of influence territory. The, for Ukraine to become part of NATO would be a legitimate, would be seen legitimately by Putin as an extreme threat to Russia's security. Now, that's not a good reason not to do it, but it should be kept in mind. He has a legitimate issue there. And a move against Ukraine, or at least a threat against Ukraine, could either push off or eliminate it becoming part of NATO. I would put that very high on his priority list right now. At the same time, by moving there, he's shaking NATO up. Look, look at all the scrambling that's going on in Europe. And the, the scrambling is kind of interesting, including the American movement of troops in, into Eastern Europe. They cannot save Ukraine from a Russian invasion, short of nuclear war, which I don't think is going to happen, any more than the British and the French could save Poland from a German-Russian invasion in 1939. They could protest. They could declare war. They can do all sorts of things, but Putin's power proximity simply overpowers anything NATO can do, 
again, unless it wants to start World War III over, over the Ukraine, I, I don't see that happening. A move into the Ukraine also brings Russian-speaking populations, particularly in eastern Ukraine, under Soviet, under Russian, sorry, not Soviet anymore, under Russian control, as was the excuse for taking Crimea eight years ago. It also threatens Turkey. Turkey and Russia have been in conflict only for the past 500 years or so. Unlike those of us further west, um, and I'm talking about west, further west culturally, even though I'm, I'm east of that area, um, they have very long memories. And a move like that also threatens the area of the Balkans, an area of NATO interest, and last but not least, and I believe one of his primary purposes is to create a land bridge between Russia and Crimea, which he does not have right now, because in Sevastopol in Crimea, he has a massive naval base and shipyard, which I believe is the main reason he took Crimea in the first place in 2014. And that's part of his global thinking to challenge the United States when he can and where he can. So those are those are the objectives. Why now? He definitely wants he definitely wants a year-round seaport. Correct. He 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 has a serious naval problem and, and this is not a Putin problem, this is a traditional Russian problem. Their their native naval bases are way up north of the Arctic Circle in the area of Murmansk and the Barents Sea. Right. Uh, and they get locked in by ice. Westward, to the east, on the Pacific, he's got naval bases. But westward toward the Atlantic, he only has two exits. He has Kaliningrad on the Baltic Sea, and he's got Sevastopol on the Black Sea. The Baltic Sea port, Kaliningrad, naval base, has a, is, is in great position in terms of naval access, but it's not so good position land-wise because it's locked in between Poland and Lithuania. In other words, there's no overland access between Russia and Kaliningrad, which is why the Lithuanians and the, and the Poles are a little nervous at the moment also, because if Putin fakes south and goes north, if he opens a corridor to Kaliningrad, he essentially detaches the Baltic states from the rest of Europe. Mm. Uh, all of this is, is part of his naval grand strategy. People who are familiar with the balance of power should not be confused. Russia does not have the naval power to go after the United States. He has one semi-decrepit aircraft carrier. The United States typically floats between five and seven aircraft carrier task forces. But that's not that wouldn't be Putin's goal. He would he wouldn't be looking to challenge the US Navy. But he could look to challenge the US in the Mediterranean, where there's rarely more than one aircraft carrier, American aircraft carrier, and that can be challenged with other arms, uh, with land based aircraft which he has in Syria, etc. In other words, don't think Soviet NATO scale conflict of the Cold War. Think much more in terms of narrow point 
gain advantage here and hold that advantage and not take on the United States on all oceans simultaneously. And that's part of, I think part of it is maneuvering. Uh, Sevastopol today is connected to Russia by a 19 kilometer long bridge. Now, you don't need to be Napoleon to figure out that you cannot secure a 19 kilometer long bridge. Hmm. That's, that's 12 miles for those who are scoring in, in English measure. Let me ask the, the provincial question, uh, because it's it's my neighborhood and it's your neighborhood, Elliot. So uh, obviously, uh, although I was very disappointed before when you said you're, you're not a prophet, but I'm still going to ask you to look into a crystal ball a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh, you know that I'm a disciple of the two great philosophers, Winston Churchill and Yogi Berra, who said it's best to prophesy <laughs> about things that have already happened. <laughs> so unfortunately, um, this hasn't happened yet, but uh, and this could obviously, as we've been discussing, go a number of ways. But the provincial question is, so how could this potentially affect Israel um, okay. or might it? For that, we need to also understand the why now. Um, by the way, not, it's not good for Israel. Let's 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 start with, you know, with, with a spoiler alert. It's not good for Israel. But it's not good for Israel on a whole bunch of levels. The first and most fundamental level of not good for Israel is that America is perceived as weak. And that is yeah. never good for Israel. Catastrophic flight from Afghanistan made America look bumbling. A bumbling now, and I, I want to be really clear on this. Perception counts. It doesn't matter whether America is weaker today or stronger today than it was a year ago. It is perceived to be weaker. In certain ways, it is weaker. Giving up Bagram Air Force Base, a lot of people talked about how you don't give it up before, you know, before the withdrawal. You don't give it up at all. Bagram was, was, was built in the 1950s by the United States as part of the means of outflanking Russia from the south. This is this had this was not about the anti-Taliban, anti-Al-Qaeda campaign of George W. Bush. This was part of the Eisenhower period campaign to encircle the Soviets with American bases and American power. And that is no longer in American hands. So America is, is weaker on the ground and perceived as much weaker. A Russian move that makes America look even weaker and Russia stronger is certainly not good for Israel. Russia is not our enemy, but it's not our friend. And it is very close friends with our enemies. So we we suffer by threat, by extended threat, and by the possibility of a regime like Iran saying, you know what? The Americans are overextended. They're underpowered. Now is the time to take a shot at Israel. Mm -hmm. And by the way, let me just give you an historical reference on that. The reason the Six-Day War happened in 1967 is because, for those who are familiar with the, the build-up to the Six-Day War, the Russians instigated it in May 1967. They prodded the, the Egyptians. They prodded the Syrians. And why in May 1967? Because there were all sorts of crises that had gone on prior to that. In May 1967, the Russians concluded correctly that America was bogged down in Vietnam and would not be able to come to Israel's aid. What's happening with America, even apparently having nothing to do with Israel, has an impact on Israel. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's such an important point that you make. You know, we just had uh, news that um, the president of France, Macron, ended up making a trip to Moscow where he says that he delivered concrete solutions for stability on the European continent and that Putin said he would not be the cause of an escalation. Well, supposedly what's happened uh, since he made that statement is Putin has poo-pooed what Macron actually said. Uh, But, you know, uh, supposedly uh, Putin promised to respect the Minsk uh, agreements, uh, the, the ceasefire protocol that was signed back in 2015. And and um, yet uh, the agreement between the two sides that was uh, entered in, in into this agreement ha- have not seen any kind of stable peace. Right. Look, Putin, like all good dictators, is going to preach peace right up until he starts a war. And we there are already indicators that they're trying they're putting together a plan to create an illusion of an attack by Ukraine on Russia, incidentally taken right out of the German playbook uh, prior to the attack on, on Poland in 1939. The Germans did an operation exactly the same, taking concentration camp prisoners, putting them in Polish army uniforms, shooting them, and then claiming that there was an attack on on a German radar station, uh, and that was the precept for invading Poland to protect Germany from aggressive Poland. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and I guarantee you, Putin has read more history than most of the operators in Washington. Well, I think one of the things that he's been diligent in doing is preparing Russia to be able to handle and survive without much difficulty any sanctions that would be laid upon Russia by the United States. Yes. Because uh, that's the only threat that the U.S. has made. That's right. Well, it's, it's the only threat that the U.S. is going to make because he will always raise the ante. Here, here, here we have to be clear on something. America is not in a good position to fight a war against Russia in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Even during the Cold War, it was an open question whether whether America was in a good position to fight against Russia in Western Europe. But in Eastern Europe, America's way, way overextended logistically. And let's not forget that the United States does not have the power today that it had during the Cold War because of the, the budget cuts. And I don't say this critically. I say it factually. During the, the Clinton administration, when it was decided the Cold War is over, we can cut back the military by 500,000. So America is not in a great position to threaten anybody right now. No, no. So let's say that uh, Russia does invade the Ukraine. And I, I realize this is a very general question, but, you know, best and worst case scenario here, you know, now obviously not for Israel, but in terms of just world geopolitics, you know, the, mm-hmm. the new reality of that, what does that look like? Okay, so first of all, I don't see Putin going any further west than the Dnieper River. In other words, Kiev, the capital of the Ukraine, is west of where he's going to go. I don't, I don't see him taking all of Ukraine. 
You can ask me, would I bet a lot of money on what I just said? No, because with Putin, anything is possible. And wars can have a tendency to take on their own dynamic. But if you had, if I had a bet now, I would say he's going to move into eastern Ukraine in one way or another. And when he does that, he's going to aim, as I said, to, to the land bridge into the Crimea, stay in the east where the population largely supports him, and not cross westward, west of the, the Dnieper River, because he can, he can actually use that as his defense line and hold all of that territory. At the same time, don't be surprised of a Chinese move on Taiwan. Don't be surprised that they have it coordinated, at least loosely. Right. Um, don't be surprised to see Iranian mischief stepping up all across the region and in the Straits of Hormuz, possibly in the Indian Ocean, in the Arabian Sea. Uh, don't be surprised if the lunatic dictator in North Korea fires some more missiles closer and closer to the west coast of the United States. Don't be surprised if you see aggression in South and Central America coming out of Venezuela, because all of these guys are going to jump on the bandwagon or are likely to jump on the bandwagon the minute they realize that the United States is overextended. I think you're 100% spot on. You know, we've only got a few minutes left, but one of the things that you um, contributed recently to um, the Times in Israel was was a blog where you really talked about Putin being a master chess player. Actually, what I said was that we're not sure that he's a master chess player, but he's certainly a master strategist. Yeah, he he is. He is. He he understands that game very well. And and this this is one of those things that I think he's testing the the West and its resolve and seeing how far he can push things. It's it's a very interesting time. And uh, we really, really appreciate the contribution that you make here on the program uh, today uh, in regards to this. You know, um, if people wanted to be able to stay in touch uh, with you and be able to capitalize on some of the some of the pieces that you contribute, how, how can they chase that down? Right now, the best way to do it is on my lectures page on Facebook. I have two. I have a personal page and a lectures page. The lectures page is better um, simply because that's where I, I I put all my my writings, my professional stuff. This interview, wouldn't, when it's available online, I'll, I'll post there as well. I, and through there, they can they can write to me, they can message me, and I'd, I'd rather not put my email up in public. But anybody's interested can can certainly contact me through there and and start a conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. You know, this is a piece that I think. Anybody who's watching knows that the stakes are pretty high. And uh, I think one of the things that we can do is stay informed and to pray for uh, intervention, divine intervention. And um, it's, it's, we have a front row seat for a lot of the things that are talked about in the Bible and its prophecies about the future because uh, Russia plays a pretty 
key role in, in the book of Ezekiel. And, and I'm telling you, we're, we're living in Bible times, aren't we? Oh, I think so. I, I, for, I think we're always living in Bible times. It's the only question is which part of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's 100%, 100% right. Well, uh, it's always always a treat to have you on the program, Elliot. Thank you. It's always, always great to what meet a, you guys. What a blessing. What a blessing. So, Harold, any final words before you uh, inform our, our listeners how they can contact us? Well, I, I just want to echo what you said. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, this is always informative, always insightful. Um, uh, unfortunately, this isn't good news, but uh, I, I think it's important that people be you know, informed and aware on just what the ramifications mm-hmm. are. Um, so this, if you listen to this uh, show and you say, hey, I, I wanted to hear that piece again, I, I wanted to get that fact that I missed, you can go to our website, uh, www.theteacherandthepreacher.com, and go to the podcast page, and all of our uh, previous archive podcasts, including this one once it's up, will be on there. And you can also write us there if you want to contact us. Uh, there's a contact form. Uh, we respond to every listener inquiry we get. Many times listeners ask us questions that we use on the air. You can also contact us and check us out on our Facebook page, The Teacher and the Preacher, where we post uh, regular updates, uh, news you often don't find in other places. And you can also contact us the old-fashioned way, the teacher and the preacher at gmail.com. I love that. I love that. I I just so appreciate the opportunity that we have week after week, Harold, to connect with our listeners across the nation and uh, those people who visit our our website and can grab a hold of any of our archived programs. We are so grateful to have that available. And so check out The Teacher and the Preacher at theteacherandthepreacher.com. And thank you to our donors who keep us on the air. We are so grateful for those who stand by and and keep us uh, keep us funded, uh, we're listener supported, and um, somehow, some way, God always always uh, provides for us. So, Harold, great to be with you again this week, and Elliot, once again, thank you for being our guest. We look forward to getting reconnected, and may the God of Israel, who never slumbers or sleeps, may He watch over Israel and all of our Jewish friends, and may God. Watch over America, especially during these days. Amen. The teacher and the preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the teacher and the preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom. Shalom.